This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Today on the show with me, I have my friend who was the USA Triathlon Amateur National Champion 2016. He's also gone on to be (laughs) this guy. He's also gone on to be the age group world champion in 2018. Uh, He has his PhD in exercise science. And as far as I'm aware, he is the foremost expert on cinnamon rolls. Welcome to the podcast today. You're Todd Buckingham. Hey, thanks for having me, Jesse. I think that last one, uh, that's probably the most important. uh, Well, I mean, I I it was pretty accurate. (laughs) (laughs) So how uh, how have you been? You're telling me you just were getting done with the run today. Is that? Yeah, um, I went for a run. I had a bike and uh, a little bit of core work earlier, but I wanted to get outside while I could because the next few days is supposed to be bitterly cold here in Michigan. So I may be uh, stuck on the treadmill, unfortunately. So yeah, this um, today was actually like my first kind of hard bike workout that I've had on the year. Um, I kind of took two weeks of leisure at mm. the beginning, at the beginning of the year, um, just to kind of reset and kind of not have really any structured training. And so today I did like four by five minutes at lactate threshold and I was dying. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was like 10 or 15 Watts lower than like what I am normally at. And I was just like, Oh, this is brutal. right. Well, I think we, which in the grand scheme of things, tens of fifteen watts isn't that much. Yeah. You didn't lose that much fitness, right. but it is a little like on the mental side. Yeah, uh, a little uh, disappointing. Yeah, I I know about that. You know, um, for listeners that don't know, I actually shattered my collarbone this last uh, June racing, so I didn't get to race with Todd at, at nationals this last year. And coming back from that, it's like take two, three months off. It's nothing like just taking a couple of weeks off. Right. Just, yeah, I can imagine. You're just sad. And you're like, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of wanted to get a little bit of history on you. Yeah. Um, clearly, I've known you for a few years now um, through, we'll say, mutual friends. Um, I kind of want to know a little bit about growing up. Like, what kind of sports did you play? Did you play sports or were you just like bookish? Um. Yes, I played sports, but I was also bookish i guess a nerd (laughs) Uh, um yeah so growing up i played baseball basketball and soccer in high school Mm. um i played baseball in college and i didn't really get into running until after i graduated um i never really got the point of running just to run you know if i chase the ball or something like that sure like i'll go chase the ball all day but, uh, yeah, my dad's a big runner. He's run over 50 marathons and ultras. My mom mm-hmm. runs halves. And, you know, growing up, they always wanted my brother and I to run with them. And we were just like, no, that's that's silly. Like, why would you just go why run? Why would you just go run? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so when I finished playing baseball, I was like, man, I need something to do. And, and so my mom actually signed us up for the Warrior Dash. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a... For people who don't know, it's a 5K kind of mud run obstacle course type thing. And I was like, well, I should probably be able to run a 5K alone before I try to do it through the mud and obstacles. Mm -hmm. And so that's really when I started 
running was for the Warrior Dash. Um, and that was, gosh, what, 2011, I think, is when I, I graduated? Yeah, 2011. So here we are. So eight it's years just, later. just right after college? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so now when, uh, like, when I want to go for a run, if I met my parents and, um, I'm like, hey, you know, does anybody want to go for a run with me? It's like, oh, wait, you know, like dad can't run with me. Mom can't run with me. Like I'm, I'm just too fast now. And so instead, though, it's really cool because they'll um, like mom will ride her rollerblades next to me or yeah. dad ride his bike. So it's really cool like that they still they still go out and, and do that with me. So um, even though we can't run together, we still run together. Yeah, I mean, I, I, whenever uh, – I don't, I don't know if I met your mom, but I know um... – Anytime I see your dad at races, you know, always seems very supportive. So that's, that's cool to hear they go out. They still go out with you. Yeah. It's really amazing. They come to just about every race that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I was even able to drag them to Australia, kicking and screaming. They (laughs) they did not enjoy that one bit. Uh, no. Um, yeah, my dad calls himself, um, the bag man. He's my bag man. He's not Mm -hmm. a shirt. He's, he's my bag man. So he, yeah, he literally like carries my bag everywhere around um the airport around you know the race course and he's out on the race on the course giving me splits and things like that and Mm -hmm. um it's really cool that that he does that still here and i'm you know gonna be 30 in two days and they're still like following me around like like they did back when i played baseball basketball and soccer in high school and and i mean that's one thing that they never did was like miss a game for my brother or I. I mean, we both played three sports in high school, and I can probably count on them on one hand the number of times that they actually missed an event of ours. Mm-hmm. It's, it's awesome to have that support. And honestly, like, you know, I, I probably wouldn't still be doing sports, I guess, triathlon if if it weren't for them. So. Right. Right. I'll, I guess I'll take a moment and say happy early birthday. Thank you. And you too. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a couple day, couple days ago. Yeah. It seems like all of us, even, uh, this is a, another mutual friend of ours <laughs> the, for those listening to us or watching us. Um, Kevin, his is, his is like the ninth or whatever. So it seems like all the triathlon guys are yeah, get I, born I, I in January. The, I hear that the best endurance athletes are born <clears throat> in January. So yeah, <laughs> actually there, there was a study done that showed people who are born in January tend to have faster marathon times oh yeah because a lot of um like kenyan and ethiopian guys and girls have january birthdays but that might be because they um they're not quite sure when and so they just kind of make up a okay but the first one on the list yeah yeah but uh i like to think that it's just because we're born in january therefore we are better endurance athletes so i'm I'm gonna (laughs) stick with it just as like a magical gift given to us exactly yeah <laughs> it makes it tough being born in January in the cold winter months, and so it's. Yeah, I always try to embrace it and just say, oh, "I love the cold." Like, <laughs> right. yeah, how's that work for you? Let me know when it's like. <laughs> yeah, I just I just bundle up. It's fine. Uh... So okay, so I didn't know this is some it's kind of interesting. Like I didn't know that you didn't start running till after college. You know, you always wear your like Michigan skate state kit or at least when we first started racing together yeah. i was seeing michigan state kit so i thought you raced club in college mm. um so it makes it me even more curious like 
2011 to 2016. I mean, it's not that long of a time to go from just beginning to run to being amateur national champion. Like, how do you, in your own mind, you know, what do you attribute that rise to? Is it just personal perseverance or like, you know, what kind of ingredients are there? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And, and honestly, like 2011, 12, 13, I don't think I raced my first club nationals. So, so I did, I did my undergrad at Saginaw Valley. I graduated in 2011. Then I mm. went to central for a couple of years. I was on the triathlon team and that's really when I first started. Um, and I was on the triathlon team, but I didn't compete at all. And once I got to Michigan state in 2013 was the first time that I actually competed at club nationals mm. and, um, collegiate club nationals. And, um, yeah, I did that a couple years and then, you know, I decided to do age group nationals. My first one was 2015 mm -hmm. and, and that was in Milwaukee and I love that course and it was a great, great place to have nationals. And, mm -hmm. um, I didn't really have any expectations going in. It was my first age group nationals. I had just started working with Barb, um, my coach and, it had only been a few months that we were working together and I just ran like a marathon back in May because mm -hmm. before I really, really got into triathlon, like I was a big marathon guy, like, um, running marathons was kind of my, my thing, which is weird because, you know, I didn't like running growing up. Right. And I really, <laughs> right. I did my first marathon in 2013 and then that year, 2015, um, I, I ran, uh, a 228 at Bayshore Marathon, mm -hmm. and um, and so it was uh, it was really just kind of switching gears from marathon to triathlon, and right. um, and so yeah, you know, I just kind of I don't know had fun with it, and right. I ended up finishing eighth in overall. And fifth in my age group, which was, mm -hmm. it was like, man, that 25, 29 age group was really ultra competitive. Yep. And, um, and then, yeah, the next year I was like, well, I should probably try to do a little better and <laughs> worked out all right. So I, I would say so. Top of the podium. Um, for, for those interested. So Barb is Barb Lindquist. She's a former U.S. pro first woman in the U.S. to be ranked number one in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Barb actually, uh, Todd, I don't know that you know this, but Barb actually allows me to post some of her swim workouts on the Soul Pre website. So anybody that actually wants to get their butt kicked with a little sample of that from Barb, you can go to the Soul Pre blog. Um, I'll have a link in the description on YouTube here later. You can pick that up. Um, so... As you know, this is the Smart Athlete Podcast, and part of the reason I wanted to have you on was to talk about something you were working on. I think it was it was 2017 Nationals in Omaha, correct? You were yeah. flagging everybody down that had a Garmin watch, particular kind of Garmin watch. You were looking at everybody, and um, it seemed like you were trying to make a new friends with everybody but, or hustling. I'm not sure what you were selling, yeah, but um, can you tell me a little bit about what was going on there? Yeah, so... Um... Like you mentioned, I, I have my PhD in exercise science. Uh, I just graduated from Michigan State back in August, and my dissertation actually um, was 
based on triathletes. It was um, like performance factors in triathletes. Mm-hmm. And so one of those factors was looking at the the Garmin watch and seeing if there were any correlations between, um, you know, the variables that it measures in each of the three disciplines and mm-hmm. then um, seeing if those related to any faster performances in the swim, bike, or run. And so we wanted to look at one variable in each of the three disciplines and then see if that variable, whether uh, it was like running cadence or stride length or vertical oscillation, whatever it was, what was the most important factor for having a faster finish time in the swim, bike, and run? And so, yeah, like you said, I was I was making a lot of friends, handing out, <laughs> handing out flyers, uh, mm-hmm. and and getting getting people to share their data with me, which is really cool because I got 250, 300 people who sent in their watch data, and mm-hmm. was able to look at that, and um, and yeah, and and I was able to finish my dissertation, which was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I always find like anytime you go to a race, even a super competitive race like nationals, like everybody's cheering everybody else on everybody's happy just to have everybody there like the atmosphere is always great so you know i I think to me it's not necessarily surprising that everybody sent the data into you but it is necessarily surprising that they had the right watch (laughs) that you needed with the particular data um so i don't think i missed this but did you i mean did you find anything significant was there any statistically significant results that you came up with yeah there were a lot so you know, things for the, for the swim, uh, having a lower swolf score, that's that swimming golf. It's kind of a measure of efficiency. Garmin says it had never mm-hmm. really tested if like having a lower score actually led to faster times. And we did find that it did, um, cycling. You, I'll pause you just for a second. So yeah. with the, the swolf score, do you know how that's calculated? Is it like, um, is it roughly based on like arm cadence or or like distance per stroke or like do you yeah. know how to calculate that yep so it is it's the time that it takes to swim 25 meters in open water mm-hmm. plus the number of strokes that it takes so if it takes okay. you 25 seconds and you take 25 strokes your swell score would be 50 okay so having a lower score and and there is that little caveat that yeah obviously a lower swell score is going to be faster because a lower swell score means that you took, took less, less time. time. Yeah. Right. So that is one of the limitations with, with that and looking at that for a correlation. But um, it did show that, that you know, lower swell scores typically led to faster. Do you know if there's a breakdown in that data where you can see the difference between, like, cadence and, you know, because cause they're com- con- combining the two to make yeah. that score. Is there – do and they have the breakdown? Not really. You can look – you could go and look at the number of strokes that it took them and then mm-hmm. the time that it took them. Okay. But it doesn't, it, the swell score itself doesn't get broken down. Okay. Can't really look at it like that. Okay. Um, for the bike cycling cadence had, uh, just a moderate relationship. So the higher your cadence, the faster your time. Um, but that one was the weakest correlation that we found between the three swim, bike, run. Mm-hmm. And then in the run, um, running stride length was actually the most important variable in determining running time, uh, not running cadence, which a lot mm. of athletes are told, like, focus on your cadence, like hit that 180 steps per minute. But right. we found that the longer your stride length, the faster your time, 
more so than the faster your cadence, the faster your time. So the correlation between running stride length and running time was like 0.9, above 0.9. Mm-hmm. And the, the running cadence was, I think, only above 0.7, between 0.7 and 0.8. Um, so, yeah, it was it was interesting to see because, you know, athletes are told, focus on your cadence, focus on your cadence. But... Um, I would want to tell them like focus on your stride length. And there is a caveat with that too. Like you don't want people overstriding because right. that is lead to injury, but um, more so running is is more an extension out the back instead of right. being out front. That's and I front. think that's where right. a lot of people try to focus on um, increasing their stride length as they try to reach further out in front of them. But what they should right. be doing is pushing off pushing harder. further in the back. So yeah. Yeah, the, the stride length, that was really interesting. It wasn't something that I expected. Um, and I just, it was really cool because now we can tell people like, yeah, maybe that 180 steps per minute isn't, you know, the best thing to do. And honestly, like, if you think about it, if you go out and you run at a nine minute pace, which is pretty easy, and you, right. try, and you try to run at 180 steps a minute, it's going to be really hard because you're basically just going to be like bouncing up and down. Right. Uh, so I know when I run, when I do my easy runs at like 7.30 or 8-minute pace, I'm taking maybe 160, 165 steps a minute. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as the pace increases, because <clears throat> your running velocity is a product of steps and uh, frequency and distance, right? Right. So your frequency increases, you're going to go faster. Your distance increases, you're going to go faster. So like during nationals, I'll be close to 200 steps a mm-hmm. minute. Um, but on my easy runs, it's 160. So I don't think that people should really focus on that 180 steps a minute as much as, as has been dispensed and kind of like, right. Right. I kind of see the, you know, you say 180. Um, I think I take it from Barbara's 90 since you're counting one leg. Um, I kind of see it as like a, a training tool almost to try to prevent that overstriding because the faster you go, the harder it is to overstride. You have a greater tendency to have your foot land under you right. so your and mechanics improve. Yeah, yeah. You really want your foot to land under your center of gravity um, instead of out front. I don't know yeah. if, if any if you can really land with it behind your center of gravity. That would be <laughs> – you'd be like running. Uh, is that is – that, I mean, it's like control, that's controlled fall, control you know, fall. I, you exactly. know, just, yeah. I think it would get out of control at some point in time. Um, so, you know, some people watching will be kind of know what it's like for undergraduate student athletes, but you know, once you move into PhD research, I assume I had, I don't have a PhD that, you know, your kind of time intensity goes up as far as studying goes. So I'm kind of curious you know, what's it like to be a student athlete at that level where you're working on your PhD and you're also competing at a very high level as an amateur? Uh, what's it like? Very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> don't have much life outside of, uh, of school and training. Um, you know, so as a, as a graduate student, you have classes that you take, you have classes that you teach, and you have research that you do. Mm-hmm. So... It, it is so much more time intensive than an undergraduate degree that you don't really realize until you're in it. I mm-hmm. remember in undergrad thinking that I was so busy and then I got to grad school and I was like, I had so much free time. 
like and and so yeah i mean it's 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 tough but i mean you make the time for the things that are important to you right so um you know it's it's just one of those things that fitness and exercise and triathlon are important to me so i prioritize those things and Mm -hmm. um and yeah for better or worse you know sometimes it takes precedent over studying for an extra hour you know but is studying that extra hour really gonna help me get 10 percent better on the exam or quiz Mm -hmm. probably not and in all reality and this is one thing that i learned going from undergraduate to graduate school is that grades don't really matter i mean honestly And, and for anybody listening, I know this is a smart athlete podcast, but, <laughs> but like, give yourself a break. I was, I was that student in high school who like always had to get A's. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately I was the salutatorian. I finished second by like 600. See, it's still haunts you. You're still concerned with the grades. You just said yeah, they didn't matter. <laughs> but, but once you get into graduate school, like other things become more important. Your research mm-hmm. becomes more important. You're teaching becomes more important. And, and then the grades, I mean, I don't, I couldn't even tell you what I finished with at Michigan state, what my GPA was, Mm -hmm. Um, but I know exactly what my GPA was in high school and undergrad because those things were important to me. And what became more important was getting my dissertation done and teaching well and preparing lectures well. And so and the grades don't really matter because like I didn't get my job because I got a 4.0 mm-hmm. in science class, right? right? I got my job because of like the research that I had done. And um, the, honestly, like my triathlon background helped me get my job as a sport performance. I'm, I'm the lead exercise physiologist at um, a local hospital and mm-hmm. I'm starting a brand new state-of-the-art sport performance lab. And it's not because I did really well in stats class. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it's that kind of overall, like, I won't say well-rounded just because it has to be this laser focus to get a PhD and compete at such a level. But it's like, the you know, the combination of the two that come together to make kind of a unique, you know, individual. Yeah, and... And I don't think people really realize like how difficult it is to to be in school and and to compete. Like you know, we all think that having a nine to five is is difficult and trying to get training in around then. But mm-hmm. if you look at a graduate degree in a program, it's not nine to five. It's like six to six mm-hmm. or labor. Yeah, like, I had I had ten o'clock classes some night. You know, class goes till ten o'clock, and um, and then grading and preparing lectures and things like that. Like that's a weekend thing too. So it's not just five days a week; it's seven days a week, and mm-hmm. and you make no money as a <laughs> student. Let me tell you. So like, you mean students are paid, you know, handsomely? I don't I don't no, know what no, you're talking about. It's weird. About. It's weird. Like, <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I mean, I think that winning winning the national championship was cool, but I think that winning the national championship while being in my PhD program, like that's even 
it makes it even more special for me because mm -hmm. it's not like I could afford the the best gear and right. you know I um, I, I wasn't on a team and I didn't have like all the, all the cool stuff and the support from anybody really, but my family and my friends, um, right. and my coach, of course, and, all right. uh, she, she would get mad at me if I didn't say that, but it's true, <laughs> but it's true. Um, yeah, she's a taskmaster, but yeah. in a good way. So, yeah, you know, I think that's probably the, the coolest thing about winning the national championship that year was was just doing it with everything else going on mm -hmm. and 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 people I mean you don't know what other people have going on in their lives and and I'm sure nobody knows like that I was in the midst of of my PhD when I when I won that but mm -hmm. um you know it's it just, it just makes it special for me and and that's why I do it like I don't do it right. to get awards and recognition like I do it for the personal challenge and right. um to really push my own limits so I, I'm going to get sidetracked if we move on. One thing I want to talk about, and I, th I think it was that year. Um, that was the year your foot was messed up, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I remember when we were we were doing swim warm-ups with Barb the day before the race. You were my swim partner, and you were like, all right, go ahead and whack it in the water. We'll see how it feels. Yeah. Yeah, so what so what happened? What happened with the, the foot? And I'll have, I'll have the picture here up on the screen uh, for anybody watching. Yeah. So, oh gosh, it was probably, it was, I think it was within a week of the race. I was kind of doing, you know, last preparation stuff, um, transition practice coach likes to have us practice transitions, just like getting in and out of the shoes, running mm -hmm. with the bike, hopping back on. And I was literally doing my last one and I was 50 feet from my house. I could see the driveway. I was just turning the corner. So I had taken my shoes, I take my feet out of my shoes, I had swung my leg over top, and uh, I had hopped off and I started running with the bike. And all of a sudden, one of my shoes hit the ground, mm -hmm. and, it, and it caused the bike to jackknife up in the air. Mm -hmm. Well, when the bike jackknifed up in the air, because I was holding it by the seat, it, it kind of, the front wheel went in front of my body, mm -hmm. and, and I ended up just going head over heels, okay. um, humbling, and <clears throat> because I wasn't wearing socks, um, right? I I hit my foot on something. I don't know what it was, but it, this is probably like the most excruciating pain that I've ever felt in my life. And I honestly thought that like my pinky toe had gotten ripped off. Like it yeah. hurt so bad, and and I was literally like. I, I grabbed my foot in my hand and was just squeezing it, holding it so that like <laughs> it, my pinky toe wouldn't fall off. Wouldn't fall off. And, <clears throat> and so, um, and I'm like, I'm, my neighbors are really close. Like my parents weren't home. Um, mm. I was, it was at my parents' house and they weren't home. And so they couldn't help like my neighbors. I, I had just seen one of my neighbors and, and I like started yelling for him and I, I, I whistle, like, like I can whistle really loud and I, I was whistling and like nobody was coming to help. Like there was nobody around. Mm -hmm. And so finally I was like, okay, well, I guess I got to get up and try to get home. And mm -hmm. like I said, luckily it was like 50 feet away. So I yeah. basically dragged myself and my bike to the door. I went to the neighbor's house and 
and knocked on the door and then just kind of like laid down on their on their porch. And my neighbor, he he's he's such a fun guy. Like he's a he's a middle school teacher and mm-hmm. and we goof around all the time. We kind of like play jokes on each other as a family. And so he answered the door and he opened the door and he goes, "Hey Todd, what's up? What are you doing?" Like, haha, like funny joke. Yeah, you're like, messing with me. And then he saw the blood. <clears throat> And, uh, he was like, Oh, this is, this is serious. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like, we got to go to the hospital right now. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. And he's like, no, we're going. And so like, he got me in the car and we went to the hospital and, um, luckily nothing was broken or mm-hmm. too terribly damaged, but they, um, and, and they would have put stitches in it, but I told them that I was racing in like less than a week. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, Okay. <laughs> Good luck. Um, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't glue it or anything. They didn't. They didn't glue it. Um, was it too deep? Because I know. Yeah, I remember really you talking deep. about it being pretty deep. Yeah, it was really deep. Um, and what happened was, like, if you if you look at and I, you can see the picture, but yeah, right. like it split the it split the, the webbing webbing between my toes. Yeah. And um, gosh, it was so painful, but. Yeah, they they just kind of bandaged me up and and sent me home. Um, and it was really it was really I'll say cool. Um, my parents' dog. When I got home, my feet were like up on the up on the couch or, or the the stool, and and he came and he was like sniffing it. He started like licking my foot, like he knew that it was hurt, and he tried to like help mm-hmm. me back and heal me. So that was that's probably my best memory from getting hurt. <laughs> Um, yeah just knowing that he cares about me so <laughs> yeah I, I remember kind of going into the race um i made a joke to you about um you're gonna have to just prefontaine it up and then of course you did and you won <laughs> but you know you didn't really seem too daunted by it i mean how do you keep your your head in the game when when your foot is cut up and you know fairly painful yeah. Yeah. How do I keep my head in the game when my foot is definitely not? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and I didn't run for a few days after that happened. I think that was on Tuesday and the race was on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't run Wednesday or Thursday and I gingerly ran on Friday. So for me, it was more just like getting my foot healthy and knowing that all the training that I put in, in the days, weeks, months leading up to the race mm. that, that I was ready. And I don't usually get nervous before races. I, especially big races like that. And it's kind of different. I know a lot of people put a lot of pressure on like national championships or world championships, mm-hmm. but I just try to treat it like any other race. I mean, mm-hmm. cause it is right. Why would you do something different for a national championship that you didn't do all year and you had success all year. So for me, it's just about doing what I always did and going through the motions. And, you know, luckily my foot didn't hurt too bad um, on race day. I think because like everything else was hurting, you know, your legs are burning and your lungs are burning. And yeah. Your brain can only handle with so, so much pain. It's exactly. whatever that hurts the most. Yeah. And, um, I, I couldn't really focus on it because, mm-hmm. uh, what I was focusing on was like the race. I, I came off the bike three minutes down to the mm-hmm. leader and I was like, 
doing the math in my head. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to run 30 seconds per mile. 30 seconds faster, faster right. And, um, and at the halfway point, so, so that year in Omaha, we ran through the baseball field, which was right. really cool. As a, as a former baseball player, I love that. <laughs> love running yeah. around. I know a lot of people didn't like it, but like that was the highlight to me. Um, and it was just an out and back. And so yep. those are the courses that I love because it gives me a good barometer of where I'm at and how far down I am. And right. we got to the halfway point and I asked somebody, I was like, how far ahead is the leader? And at this point I was in third place mm-hmm. and the leader was a minute and a half ahead of me. And so I had exactly cut, you know, half the time, half the time. and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to hurt so bad. <laughs> So like, I wasn't thinking about my foot because I was just like, I need to go faster. And, and I caught, um, I caught him with less than a quarter mile to go. Mm -hmm. I asked him, but I had given so much in those, in those six miles that that last quarter mile and not the last quarter, about the last 10th of a mile, I started fading and, and he was coming back on me Mm -hmm. and I talked to him after the race and, and he uh he said yeah you know i thought you were just like letting up and kind of like celebrating too early and and i was like no i just i didn't have anything left just gassed yeah you know i ended up beating him by three seconds and um it's probably like the closest national championship in, in their history which i mean it was really cool like i love races where it's actually a race it's not just yeah. a time trial because right and that, that kind of adds that adds the excitement to it yeah, exactly. And and for the most part with, with triathlons, the, the non-drafting style that we do, it's just an individual time trial. Right. Which is why, like, I've done a few draft legal races. I love those because it's tactical. It's super fun. Yeah. And so you, you actually, like, you get to race. Like, you're with people the entire time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, I crossed the finish line and and then my foot really started hurting. <laughs> like, oh, get, get me off my feet. Like, I can't, uh, can't even walk right now. And, um, and so that was, that was, that was really cool. And, and I had my dad out on the course and like, he was mm-hmm. at me and, and then he came and found me at the finish line. And, and that was a really special moment that, that we, we had. So that was cool. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is definitely like, I feel like it's kind of a untold story. Like, I know that your foot was messed up, but you know, how many other people really get to know that you were running on that and just the, the whole, the whole thing coming together. So that, you know, on top of everything, you know, I wanted to make sure everybody understood, you know, the kind of personal challenges that you were facing. It wasn't just like, Oh, I'm an awesome athlete and I came out and just beat everybody. And you know, it, it is, it is tough for you just as it's tough for everybody else. Like everybody hurts. Yep. And, and honestly, like, you know, I don't, I don't see myself as an awesome athlete. Like I'm pretty average at all of the disciplines. Um, you know, there are guys, there were, there was a guy who, uh, he finished third overall that year. He's racing super league now Mm -hmm. and, um, it's Jack Felix and he came in. Yeah. He's like a 14 something 5k guy. And, and I'm like, like my fastest 5k is barely under 16 minutes. Like, how am I supposed to beat this guy? And, you know, it's not about doing one thing really well. It's about doing all the things kind of okay. Like that's <laughs> or, or pretty well. Yeah. I talked to, I talked to Jack the other day actually. And oh, yeah? ask him how he's going. And he said, just, he said, super league and pro is just absolutely brutal the whole way through, which you'd anticipate. 
Right. It looks so much fun though. Like I would, I would love to get out there and just like go at it with the guys in Super League. Like I would get lapped out, you know, the first lap of the bike. But yeah, and that would be that would be fun. That would be cool. It looks like. So I mean, is that is that why you decided not to go pro? Because um, for those people listening, so Todd and myself, although I'm much slower, um, and the kind of group that we know each other through is all focused on becoming professionals. So. You know, is that the decision for you not to go pro, even though you've qualified a few times over? Yeah, you know, I, I was talking to to Barb, coach about it, and um, it's not like I'm blowing everybody out of the water, right? I still get right. beat a lot, and you know, yeah, if I would have won the national championship by like five minutes, okay, well, then maybe it's time to go pro. But mm-hmm. I won by three seconds. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the the other races that I've won by like a minute, I don't know, you know, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like any dominating thing. Now, I do always wonder like, okay, well, if I just devoted my time and training like a professional athlete, like, could I be better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I'm trying to do this all while getting a PhD and doing research and my own mm-hmm. classes and teaching. And, um, and so that definitely takes its toll on like my training and recovery time. But if I were to train like a professional athlete, would I get so much better that it would not only allow me to like compete, but like to win some professional races. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately there are, not a lot of Olympic distance professional races anymore. Right. Right. We're all, they're all going long course at 70.3. It's Ironman. You know, yeah, we, it's have, we don't have IV series anymore. Right. The lifetime series is kind of on the downhill. Um, and really if you're, if you want to race professional in short course, it's continental cup, it's the world cup, um, and they are way faster than me. Like I could, I, the run is, is my best event and my 10 K PR, they are running two minutes faster in the triathlon. And so it's like, right. And I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but it's like the women are running as fast as you. Yeah. 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 I, at, at, at worlds this year, last year, I guess, 2018 in Australia, my time and the women's winning time was within two seconds of each other. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, mm, yeah. Now I still would have beat a few of the men, but you know, but I don't, I don't want to be the pro that is finishing in the bottom third, quarter, right. like, you know, finishing last every time. Cause mm-hmm. you're not going to make a living like that. And, and no. I think that being a professional athlete, whether it's triathlete or baseball player or whatever, like if you want to call yourself a professional athlete, you need to make a living and be able to solely fund yourself based on your sport. Mm. And, and triathlon is a very difficult sport to do that with because really only the, the best, you know, 2% in the world at the best 2% of the professional athletes are making enough money to sustain themselves. Right. I mean, you've got your Jan Ferdinos, Marinda Carfrey, um, Lucy Charles, Daniela Reef, like those, they are making a, a comfortable living, um, from triathlon, but then you have your lower tier triathletes like Jack and Jack's a great triathlete. Yeah. Like, but is he making 
even 30,000 a year doing triathlon? Probably not. Right. And, and that's hard to live on. Um, and so being a professional triathlete, like, yeah, well, it's always been a dream of mine to be a professional athlete. You know, I thought it was going to be baseball, but, mm -hmm. um, but just, just to be a professional triathlete, to call myself a professional triathlete is not something that I really want to do at the time. Um, right. you know, maybe like for my last triathlon that I ever do, maybe I'll like take my pro car. Take your pro car. Like, yep, there's that, there's that one time that, that one race that I wanted to do as a, as a pro, but, um, yeah, right now it's, it's just not something that, that I want to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, we'll have a couple more questions and I know we're going to have to let you go. Uh, so this last year, 2018, you came back from a kind of disappointing, um, finish at nationals which is a whole other conversation um which i'd love to get into maybe we'll get into another time um so you came back and actually won the overall age group world championship this last year um considering all you said about not going professional how do you stay motivated for the next race like you you stood on top of the world now as far as the amateurs are concerned you know, how do you, how do you stay in the game? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and it, it's something that I had to give a lot of thought to in the off season. Like mm -hmm. I've, I've won my age group for the national championship the last three years. I was overall winner two years ago. I finished third overall in 2017. Um, and like you said, I just won the world championships. And so it's like, what else do I have to do in short course racing as an amateur mm -hmm. it's like I'm, and it's not to sound like conceited or anything but it's like what now you right because it's a personal challenge yeah and so what now okay i guess like do it again to prove it wasn't a fluke um but it's tough like i honestly and it's something that i still i'm like well you know do i really want to go run outside when it's negative five out like mm -hmm. eh, no, i'm just gonna lay on the couch instead um but I think just looking at new challenges and maybe doing different races um, that, you know, you might not otherwise do. Like last year I did duathlon nationals mm -hmm. and I was like, well, that seems like fun and I can take the time and go down to South Carolina and do that. And I'm going to do three races in two days and it's going to hurt, but it'll be fun. And so... Um, you know, kind of finding races like that to put on my, on my race calendar and, and getting back to doing some local races that I haven't done in a couple of years because of like the world championships. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I would still, I would like to go to Switzerland this year for the mm -hmm. world championship again. And yeah, to kind of like prove that it wasn't a fluke. Um, but I think, you know, the, the guy who finished second, well, he finished third overall second in the age group, um, mm -hmm. he actually races pro he races in the continental cup, which I, I'm not sure how he was allowed to race. He's allowed to do game. both. Yeah. But, but regardless, like he, he races pro, but he's one of those pros who, you know, he doesn't finish in the, I mean, he might be in the top half of a 50 person race, but, mm. um, you know, but I mean, so that to me, like that's, that's good motivation. Like, yeah, you know, I 
as uh, as somebody who does this for fun and as a personal challenge, like that I can go and compete with guys who are racing pro. I mean, that to me is um, is some pretty good motivation. That it's like, okay, well, you know, I want to show that I can do this only working out twelve to fifteen hours a week as opposed to twenty to thirty. Right. So, but. It is tough. I mean, everybody's got to find their own motivation. Um, mine is like cinnamon rolls. That's one of the main reasons that I. And I wanted to I get to that exercising. So, um, yeah, I gotta, you know, I gotta exercise a lot so that I can eat a lot of cinnamon rolls. <laughs> so, so where did the cinnamon roll thing come from? So, I'll I'll pull up a couple of pictures so everybody else on YouTube can watch, can see this. Todd's consumed. What are you at 141 cinnamon rolls now? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's on my website. I've got I've, there are pictures of 141. I think that I've I'm, I've probably eaten more, but those well, are well. I mean, like unique types. I mean, yeah. yeah. So the the whole cinnamon roll thing it, it started after my first triathlon, I think, or first running race, and I was like, oh, you know, I want to get a, a something to treat myself with, and we were out to breakfast and. Like they had cinnamon rolls on the menu and I was like, oh, that sounds good. Like I'll get a cinnamon roll. And mm-hmm. and it's not like I had any big um, love of cinnamon rolls before then, but it was just like something that was there. Like my mom never made cinnamon rolls for me growing up. And so it's not like one of those stories where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and it was it used to be just kind of a thing where uh, after a race or a post post race treat or something mm-hmm. itself. But now it's kind of taken on a life of its own where it's like I've got friends who I haven't seen or talked to in in like years that are like, oh, my gosh, like I saw this cinnamon roll down in Texas. Like you got to try it out or like, hey, Todd, I saw this video on, on Instagram. Like they tagged me in it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's just kind of taken on a, a life of its own. And um, I have friends send me cinnamon rolls from places like it's the craziest thing. And, and it's kind of cool. I actually, yesterday I went to a local, a local bakery and, uh, and I had been there earlier in the week because I wanted to, to get some cookies. They have like the best cookies that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, I saw some cinnamon rolls in the, in the refrigerator and they were like, you can take them home and bake them yourself. And I was like, do you guys make cinnamon rolls on any day of the week? And um, he's like, yeah, you know, usually it's Saturdays. And I was like, oh, awesome. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna have to come and do that. And I kind of showed him, I showed him my website and I showed him the pictures of all the cinnamon rolls. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, man, like, you, like, <laughs> will, you come, will you come in? Like, I want you to try one because I would love to get your opinion on it. And, uh, and so I was like, well, I think I could do that. Like, twist my arm. Um so yeah, yesterday I went in and it was like, I was a, I was a cinnamon roll critic. He was like, what'd you think? Honestly, like, what are your thoughts? And so that, I mean, that was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, maybe after my, my triathlon career, I'll, I'll find a calling in the, uh, in the culinary field. Just start uh, calling bakeries up and be like, yeah. I can help you out. I, I know my stuff. You make a cinnamon roll. <laughs> cinnamon roll connoisseur. Yes. That's, you know, I thought about putting that down in your bio as a, as a foremost cinnamon roll connoisseur, but I was like, mm, that may sound a little conceited. I don't know if I want to go with that or not. It makes me, I have to twirl my mustache. Yeah, yeah. Get my, get my monocle out. Uh, most importantly, and this is for my own ego, how was the cinnamon roll I found for you in Cleveland? Oh, yeah, man. That was really good. It was, <laughs> that was legit. It was Michelle's Bakery, wasn't it? I think, the, I think so. We were, we were wandering around the public market. Yeah, the West Side yeah. Market. Yeah. Like I was like, 
Gotta find there's there's tons of bakeries in there. Anybody that's not been to Westside Market, if you're going to Nationals this year or you're in Cleveland, go to Westside Market. It's just a cool place. Yeah. But yeah, there's a tons of bakeries in there, and I was like, gonna have to find uh, the cinnamon roll. I think you were still in the Norma Tech tent when I left uh, the venue that day. Yeah, yeah, and we ended up we ended up making it to the Westside Market. We got uh, we got one of those cinnamon rolls from Michelle's, and then we also got this uh, really interesting. It was like a cinnamon pecan crisp. So mm-hmm. it was like it was like a it was like a cinnamon roll, but it had been flattened like a pancake, and it was it was crispy, and uh, that was really good too. So yeah, Westside Market that was a really cool place. Not just for like bakery, but they had a lot of produce and a lot of right. you know meat and, and basically anything you could anything want. You could want yeah. It's, yeah, it's a giant farmers market. Yeah. My last question for you, and I'll let you let you go after this. Um, I like to ask different athletes this if you could only eat one thing for recovery for the rest of your life what would it be <laughs> cinnamon rolls <laughs> um, for recovery okay so are we talking like if this food that i eat will automatically give me good recovery or it i like- mean like like some, something you eat now you know like i use a i use a particular recovery mix some people like okay. chocolate milk some people okay. like if you oh if you can only do one because like i use different I use different yeah. things depending on what the workout is. If you could only pick one, what would it be? Oh man, just give me like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, okay, that's that's all I need. I mean, it's got some good carbohydrates. It's got good fat. It's got some protein. Um, so, like, it's not as bad for you as a cinnamon roll. And <laughs> <laughs> it actually like replenishes you and gets makes up for that lost glycogen and the protein mm-hmm. uh muscle damage so yeah i would probably say just like a, a a pbj that's that's my jam creamy peanut butter all right none of that crunchy nonsense <laughs> all right those people okay. get crunchy like get out of here and uh and i really like the cherry cherry jam that's also okay. got, that's got some good um you know antioxidant recovery yeah, the antioxidants in the cherry yeah yeah, yeah. That's my go-to. Peanut butter and jelly. Creamy I'll peanut have, I'll have to remember that. <laughs> All right, Todd. If um, people want to follow your exploits and see what kind of cinnamon rolls you're into the future, where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm at ToddBuck1, T-O-D-D-B-U-C-K-O-N-E on Instagram and Twitter, and just Todd Buckingham on Facebook. And you can find me on my website at ToddBuckingham.com where I post a picture of every single cinnamon roll that I've eaten. I've also got race results, which are less important than the cinnamon rolls. Um, but yeah, race results, upcoming races, and I write a blog sometimes when I'm not so busy writing my dissertation. So uh, yeah. Good deal. Thanks for coming on today, Todd. Hey, thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it.